This podcast is supported by Red Energy, powered by the mighty Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Red is 100% Australian-owned and local. Phone 131 806. Welcome to Homestyle with Shana Blaze. Thanks to Red Energy, born and bred in Melbourne with a customer solutions team based here. Switch to Red Energy today. And thanks for joining us on Homestyle with Shana Blaze. I'm Jane Nilden. Each week I get to chat to Shana about design, all sorts of different elements of design. Hope you've been listening to the podcast, but if you've just discovered Homestyle, Make sure you go back, subscribe and listen to all of our previous episodes where Shana and I talk all things colour, we talk sustainability, lots of different uh, avenues for you to explore and get some great tips from Shana. And of course, Shana, the interior designer on Selling Houses Australia. Shana, do we have any word on uh, Charlie's replacement on Selling Houses yet or is this an industry secret? No, there is no (laughs) industry secret. We don't even know when we're going to start. We, you know... We can't cross borders. We don't know um, when it is going to start this year or next year. Mm. It, there's there's a lot to sort of contend with. There's no way we can social distance on the show because we're on top of each other. We do a makeover in three days. You know, it, on the block they have a room reveal every seven days for one room, whereas we do a house in three days and so it, it can't really happen. So is it really only three days? Is it actually that time that we see played yeah. out on TV? Yeah, yeah. We've had we've had quite a few over the, the time where we've had to do four days for because it's extra prep and um, Deacon's, you know, taking down a wall and um, weatherproofing and waterproofing and so many different things. But the majority, I I would say 80% of three days. Fantastic. Wow. (laughs) It's big. It's exhausting watching it. (laughs) And so many people go, oh, you looked really tired. Yeah, yeah, pretty tired because you're up at 6am, you finish at about 7 and you don't have time for makeup. You do your own makeup. And on top of that, we're usually at night going back working on the next episode. That's so interesting because people are sure that you literally sit in some fancy, you know, like a trailer somewhere ah! with catering and a makeup artist and nah. you just get your minions to do all the hard work. So the, you are hands on doing the hard stuff. The amount of times <laughs> we've sat in little rooms with the toilet right next to it, next to us as our office because we are working on the next episode. I'm not painting as much as what I used to. Okay. But I think after it was like series 10, I went, you know what? I really don't want to pick up a paintbrush the whole time. So, you know, and there's too much work to do. Like the, the houses have got bigger, the expectations are higher. So I, I do paint, but nowhere near as much as what I used to. And I don't think I could do it if I had to paint that much and design them all and work on it. So oh, it's, it's, it's it is exhausting. <laughs> it's big. We love it. We have a great time. But Man, we need some time out when, when it's done. Oh, the good thing is, though, that all of the old episodes of Selling Houses Australia and even the block are on reruns at the moment. Yeah. I'm like, wow, it's the twins. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we're lacking content at the moment. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. So, um, it's it, But it's good to catch up with all the old, the old episodes. I even get um, messages from all over the world, like the block and selling houses, deadline design, buying blind. They're being shown all over Europe as well. So it's really nice to see it's just sort of out there. So I may not be wow. able to go overseas because I might get recognised too much. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be having people asking you about soft furnishings while you walk down a lovely street in Europe somewhere. <laughs> I didn't know it was international. That is great to hear. It's good to hear that we give a bit back. Absolutely. our TVs are full of five or six-year-old American reruns. Yep, so. true. Now, today we are going to talk about something that, of course, on those shows is 
often a major focus of a renovation or, in fact, a build, kitchens. Do kitchens strike fear into the heart of people, Shana? We spoke about being scared to make bad choices. Mm. We've spoken on a previous episode about the purple kitchen that you then had to replace (laughs) in an episode (laughs) of Selling Houses, that someone's put their heart and soul into it and unfortunately it just hasn't, you know, lived up to what it needs to to sell a house. So do people get daunted by kitchens? Yeah, it's the big ticket item. It's the the centre of the home, it's where we gather with our friends, our family, where we tend to sort of be on our laptop doing a bit of work. A lot of people Zooming from their kitchen bench top lately, mm. I imagine. So, you know, you're paying for stone, you're paying for cabinetry, you're paying for lighting, you're pay- paying for appliances and there's a lot that can go wrong. And also the functionality, that's a lot of people really do focus on the look and forget yeah. about the proper functionality. They think, oh, I need a sink here, I need this there. They don't think how they want to be in that space. So there's there's a lot that can go wrong as a domino effect. Yeah, how often do you go to a kitchen, even if it looks amazing, and you're just like, why would you put that drawer there? That is mm-hmm. ridiculous. That's exactly where I need to open the cupboard to put things in the bin. Or Exactly. <laughs> and the thing, and saying bin, most people forget about a bin. Like kitchen design has got so sophisticated with what can happen on inside the drawers and the cupboards that we used to have bins probably sitting on the outside of the kitchen up to five years ago. And now if you don't have an integrated bin, it's like, uh, it's really ugly. And it, it's you need an integrated bin as much as you can. If you can't, put it in the laundry or put it in the butler's pantry. <laughs> yeah. Now that sort of comes to a point I was thinking about just how much our kitchens have changed over the decades because I love sort of reminiscing with you. Let's go back to that childhood house that you've spoken about on a mm. previous episode. When you were sitting watching TV, could you see your mother in the kitchen or was she completely removed from the rest of the household? Well, before the renovation, oh. mum was tucked <laughs> away in the kitchen. Absolutely. I've, I've got to say we had um, we had these great little bench seats in the kitchen. So it was, it was almost like a 1950s, uh, you know, booth that we had there. So we could have you know, food and everything, but there's no way we'd sit there and talk to mum while she's getting everything ready. Mm. But it's it's definitely completely changed from the, the kitchen being tucked away as the workhorse, which was taken from the Victorian times that, you know, you don't show the kitchen. And Where you might even have had staff to help you in the kitchen. Exactly. So put it in the basement, in the bottom of the house, out the back. <laughs> yeah. But the kitchens were meant to be hidden, that people didn't want to see the mess. They didn't want to see anybody slaving away. They didn't want the steam. There was a lot of things to contend with. And, you know, the biggest change of that was open plan living. Mm. So I feel like, you know, every time I see a kitchen on selling houses, it's mostly, it's not functional. We're cut off from the rest of the house, can't see the kids playing. And actually we can't even fit two of us in here, often those galley style kitchens. So it's just completely unworkable. So moving towards the trends now really is for that open plan. But like you say with the bins, it does mean everything's on show. Everything. We used to, when we first started our open plan living, most island benches or even galley kitchens still within um, a open plan living, it had that long plan to it and a U-shape had what's called the upright. Oh, the screen, the barrier. It was to hide all the dishes in the sink so when you, you don't see the mess and it's just like... Wow, how messy are you? 
If you all push in together, we can get rid of all this rubbish before we all sit down. I think that's been another thing that's changed so much is that as much as we wanted, wanted to open the kitchen, we still wanted to hide the mess. And now we have a completely open plan living that you'll see the mess if you're not careful. And that's where I think butler's pantries started to come in rather than just a walk-in pantry because if you had a walk-in pantry, you were rich. You were rich, mm. but it was literally just to open the door and walk in there and stand and there and go, well, what can I eat, what can I eat, and walk out again. <laughs> yeah, so so for a butler's pantry, sort of mm. define that for me. So a butler's pantry, the traditional butler's pantry does go back to those Victorian times in the fact that that's where the butler would be. So you would have a sink, you would have an oven, you would have all those appliances and then the front of the kitchen would just have the basics. So it really, a, a butler's kitchen really in the true sense of the word, is a proper working kitchen. Right. So what we have as butler's pantries now is we just sort of have an overflow of maybe another sink, another dishwasher, and maybe the microwave and a kettle. But definitely having benches for prep space and to have your appliances, if you don't want them on show, like your big appliances that are bench top that can't be moved all the time. So really it, it depends how you want to play it. And do you feel like it is a bit of a luxury to have the space to do that? Or is it more common that people are willing to sacrifice a little bit of space somewhere else, say if it's a new build or a reno, to actually put in that functionality? Well, I suppose it comes down to what people think they want. So a butler's pantry used to be a luxury, just like uh, ensuite on a master bedroom used to be a luxury. And now you wouldn't even dream of having a house without one. Well, having a house without an ensuite to the master can really hinder a sale. Yeah. And it's getting to the stage of even just the smallest walk-in pantry can be made to look or sound like a butler's pantry. But it is starting to become one of those things, well, where's the butler's pantry? So things are being compromised in the floor plan in the fact that maybe the laundry starts to be sacrificed. And it's I've done quite a few articles about that, which is the most important. And so that comes down to your lifestyle. If Do you want to sacri- sacrifice a big laundry? Maybe you can actually put the laundry in the butler's pantry, so combine the two areas and that's why, that way you get the best of both worlds. Or you can actually put your laundry in the hallway or in a cupboard or something like that because your focus is about that butler's pantry. So it's it, there's compromise in there for sure. And you also have to talk to your clients and really drill down into, well, how much are you actually entertaining? Like if it comes down to budget and you're like, I'm sorry, but your budget is not going to stretch to a butler's pantry and this incredible kitchen, perhaps they only really entertain six times a year. Do you really need the butler's pantry or can you work around? Yeah, (laughs) it it comes down to sort of clever ways to, to hide storage clever ways to make things more functional. And it's exactly what you said. And it's not even about entertaining. It's about how you work as a family. Like, you know, if you've got four kids, maybe you need it every day because it drives you nuts that everything gets left out and you just dump it into the butler's pantry and we'll deal with it later. But it might be a case that you do a lot of cooking as a family. So you need to bulk store things. So that's where butler's pantry comes well too. But you need to make sure you get the shelving right. So if you're going to bulk buy everything, you need to tell your designer, you need to tell the kitchen maker that you need these shelves to have certain heights and mm. and structures to it so that you can actually accommodate your living. Oh, we have a fairly old kitchen in our rental. There is no single cupboard that has enough depth to get a box of cereal into <gasps> it. 
The box of cereal. Why do they make them so tall? They're not full. And so every time I open a box of cereal, I get the kids to cut the top off the cardboard because I cannot stand the, you know, the crunched up cardboard. And it's like, why can't there just be one place in the kitchen that has a tall, nice cupboard? Well, that's when you get it made new. But everything was big. That's... What you would come across is that it would have been a builder's standard. Uh, yeah. Have you thought maybe you can get some containers that will be in that height and you decanter your um, cereal into the containers? Yeah, probably should. That's yeah, a- that, that, will, that will sort of help you with that one. I mean, it's a bit more work, but at least it won't be so stressful. And that's the thing. Like, you know, when you're actually designing your kitchen and talking about functionality, I always say, what is your biggest pot? And I've got to make, you know, there's a pot drawer, but how big's the pot that you need to go in it? And, mm. you know, I don't need the really big pots, but, you know, I've had a lot of families where they do the big pastas, they do the big curries. they and the do preserving the big... ones. Exactly. That, yeah. So yeah. you have that really large pot. But if you don't have that one, you're wasting all that space to, for other things. So re- really be specific about certain things you want to store so that you can get the size of your drawers right, the shapes and everything, so you don't have to scrunch up the cereal box. <laughs> So when should we start planning all of this? I'm assuming as soon as possible, if you're doing a build, obviously, uh, you have to choose fairly quickly, don't yeah, you? What yeah. sort of surfaces and, and you know components are going to be in there? So never too early to start planning a kitchen? Always start planning because the thing is, if you're doing a new build, you have the opportunity to move walls slightly if you want to, just to accommodate what your needs are. So this this is where you go beyond a mood board. This is where you go beyond something looking pretty. Mm-hmm. It I always start with the functionality. So you have to go that for that from day one in the fact that you know, do you want that nine hundred oven? And if you do can your kitchen actually handle it? Because there's so many people that would love the big 900, but the kitchen isn't big enough and they're compromising bench space, they're compromising the functionality. So you've got to be really onto that because if you've just been given this footprint and you haven't worked out what you want in there yet, you really could be compromised. You think, God, if I only knew that I could have moved this wall 300 mil to get this, I would have had my perfect kitchen. And if you know you yeah. could have done it before, that it plays oh. in your mind like, you know, a, a dripping tap on your forehead. Yes. <laughs> and like fridge size. Yes. Fridge space. I mean, that is a big – I've seen fridges that are going cheap because it's like we stuffed up the measurements and now this yeah. brand new fridge needs to be sold. <laughs> and there's so many different types of fridges now. You know, you've got your single door, your, your French door, and then you have – fridge freezers that are side by side and then you have, you know, the top mm. freezer and the bottom freezer and then you have the freezer out the back for the extras. So yeah. there are you need to take a lot of time just to think about, you know, all those elements that you want in a kitchen. And in terms of surfaces and finishings, yes. so last episode we talked about furnishings and I have a, a real, you know, it just makes me feel uncomfortable to think of children and very beautiful fabrics getting completely ruined. Surfaces, though, if you have little fingers or high traffic and lots of people using your kitchen, should you be steering away from a high gloss? Because, you know, do you choose something that's not going to have fingerprints on it? I love the dark tones we see in kitchens now, the dark sort of navies and even the blacks. Yeah. But my goodness, the fingerprints just show up instantly. <laughs> well, it depends. It depends. You can do the high gloss, but you just do it in the areas that aren't going to be touched as much. So away from oh. where the fridge is, away from where the, the oven is, and maybe there's a sidewall that's more like a buffet, so you could do your high gloss there. But there's also matte. Matte shows just as much because we all have oil in our fingertips that mm. actually puts 
you know, sort of your oil onto those matte surfaces. But there are some amazing um, technology in laminates now that are fingerproof free. So remember oh, when really? we, yeah, remember <laughs> when we had our first, we had our uh, fridges that were stainless and. Everybody who bought those fridges in the first 12 months wanted to scream because you yeah. saw everything yeah. because it's so absorbent. But then you technology helped get stainless fridges where you don't leave finger marks. Well, now we're getting that in laminates. Wow. So you can have the high gloss and you can have the matte that is fingerprint free. So they do cost more, so just be aware of it. So if you do want that look, otherwise you go for that semi-satin that it doesn't show it. But, you know, dark, dark surfaces will definitely show up fingerprints if you don't get these proper sort of finishes that will be fingerprint free. Oh, it's good to know that there are scientists out there and engineers and design engineers working on things as simple as, I don't want fingerprints. <laughs> well, it, it comes it comes down to, you know, creating fashion, which is how things look. But then once you start using it, you go, it's actually not functional. Mm. So the more vocal you are about something without sort of ramming it down people's throats, is just saying, well, what can we do? How can we make this different? And that's how we have moved so fast in kitchen design is because we have the technology to make these changes and companies are really onto it and they want to be the first out there to do it. So there's some really good, good solutions out there. So if there's something about a kitchen that bugs you, if you're vocal about it, you'll probably find that there actually is a solution or one in the market about to be launched. And if you plan it early, it doesn't necessarily have to be hugely costly, like you're suddenly changing part of a stock kitchen. Like if you think about those things and make sure that's factored in from the very beginning. Yes, absolutely. It's it's because you have a fixture, which is all your surfaces, they become costly to replace. And in terms of appliances, would you say, I mean, you mentioned before pot drawers. Mm. I mean, pot drawers didn't exist probably, what, 30 years ago? Oh, I think 20? that's probably – no, they started about then. No, yeah. I started about then maybe a little bit – no, maybe – yeah, maybe about 30 years ago, yeah. something like that when they were actually starting to revamp the kitchens to be more sort of open plan. Mm. So there were a few – but that was just a stock standard. You couldn't play around with all the measurements as much as what you can now. But people didn't really think about that. They just – whatever drawer they got, they just accepted yeah. what they couldn't, like, couldn't oh, fit in there. Just got to put that in the cupboard. So, <laughs> exactly. so do you think that's a big trend in actually the functionality? I mean, you know, having to bend over, open a cupboard, try and get your head in far enough towards the back to see yeah. what's lurking in the back of the Tupperware cupboard. Yeah. As opposed to opening a drawer where everything is right there, that would probably be one of the major changes, wouldn't it? It has because if you think it's not just about the pots, it was also about your – cups and saucers, your plates, your bowls, you know, stuck at the back of a cupboard, they're all in drawers now. Like it's Mm. everybody wants drawers because they are so much more functional. They really are. And you tend to just have the doors for where your sink is most of the time now or if it's a corner cupboard. And if it's a corner cupboard that has a door, it usually has some fancy um, interior so it brings everything out to you. It swings out. So there's, you know, and if it looks like a cupboard, it could be a slide out. Yeah, so I've noticed that trend as well, like a spice rack. So you think there's, you know, five centimetres in between two elements, say the the stove and another cupboard. And, you know, clever designers 
put yeah. in a little slide out spice rack where normally that would be dusty, somewhere on the wall. Yes. The old spice rack yeah. and just not really very functional. But here it is right next to your oven in a small space that could have gone wasted before. And that, and that's why it's really important to plan early because it helps you work out how you want to use the space and what you want nearby. And then you go, okay, well, if a spice can go here, but, you know, I tend to have it all near the stove because that's where I put the spices in. But some people are like, no, I actually do all my prep over here and I need my spices here. Mm. So maybe by the stove it might be oils. Yeah. So it, it all depends what you want to do, but think about it early. Now in terms of, you know, we're sort of assuming, I guess, that people are building a kitchen for themselves, but you did sort of mention that you have to be mindful of how long you want things to last and also what the future is for you in that home. If it's your forever home, fine. But should we be careful not to go completely bonkers and overcapitalise if perhaps we're thinking down the track we might sell? Absolutely. Or is, are, are you ever going to get your money back if you put in a $100,000 kitchen? And well, it's depending a bit on the, the house. Top, so depending on the house. Like, you know, that there's all these amazing appliances out there that can really stack up the price of a kitchen and using your stone bench tops and, you know, high gloss laminates and all these, you know, great things that you can put within. You know, usually the fridge is the only thing you take away with. You, mm. in a kitchen and you know a hundred thousand to spend on a kitchen isn't exorbitant anymore like a lot of people might be listening going you're kidding me you know going well they're the ones that are in the magazines yeah sure. and anywhere up to you know 250 okay so that's another thing to think of do we be have to be mindful that when we are flicking through these magazines and looking at pinterest like i I would sort of think, oh, well, I know that my sister's Ikea kitchen was under 30000 and her yeah. husband installed it. Yes. Okay, do we actually have to be a bit realistic when we're having these fantasies about yeah. our kitchen? I, I think it, there's inspirational, aspirational. Aspirational sure. are those ones that are just in those mo- glossy magazines and you aspire to it. But when, when you want something that's inspirational, you, you want to look at things that you can afford. So be inspired by things that are within your budget restraints. And sometimes you can compromise. You know, there's amazing laminates out at the moment. People say, oh, I can't afford stone. Well, if you can't afford stone, don't worry about it because you can actually replace the bench tops later, get laminate first, put stone in later. Or you might actually want to do a stone bench top in the island bench, but um, on the back wall, you might want to do it laminate because no one can even tell and it's the one that's not focused on mostly. So you can do savings in that way. And, And I think, you know, also looking at the appliances, they really add up. So I always say with appliances, if you're going to be in the house for a good five years, buy what you can really afford right then. Not don't don't skimp on it because that way you get a good five years out of it. And if you're going to sell, you won't have to replace the appliances. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing, when you're doing up a kitchen to sell, a lot of the time you have to change the appliances. So you go for a cheaper, nasty appliance, but then that doesn't help your selling campaign. So there's a little bit of give and take on that sort of thing. And re- it's really important to to get good sink taps and things like that because a lot of them will seem cheap but fall apart straight away. So be really careful of the tapware that you get to. Can you get recommendations from people? Like, I mean, how would I know what a Ask great friends. tap? So please, everyone on social media, yeah. like, did you have a problem or what brands do you recommend? Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good one. Maybe we might do that as an Instagram <laughs> post when, yes. when this comes out and just say to people, look, you know, we talked about taps and we, you know, 
what tap did you get that you loved? You know, rather than saying what you didn't like, sure, you know, don't yeah. want to rubbish Pos- anybody. Oh, Shana, you're always positive. But, well, like, <laughs> it, then it just turns into an argument. It's just like, okay, well, this is what worked for me and this is why yeah. it worked for me. And, and that's why we can inspire each other and help each other out. So I think that's a great idea, Jane. Do you think the trend towards the open plan kitchen will continue or do you think there will be people who really don't cook as much? who, you know, we've got incredible restaurant culture, especially in a place like Melbourne, and you see little flats in, you know, right in the CBD where really it's one bench, one sink, possibly a dishwasher. Not everyone wants a giant kitchen, do they? No, and that comes down to lifestyle. Like you're talking about in a city, you don't need to go overboard. And they're the sort of places, those apartments that probably don't have a bath as well. They only just have a shower because it's just convenient. You don't need a bath to sell an apartment because it's not sort of to a, a big family. But yeah, you can actually go for a small kitchen, but it's again, got to be functional. It's got to have those elements. It's got to have the sink. It's got to have an oven, whether it's a, a you know combination microwave, convection oven, and you know you've got to have good bench space to chop. You can't just sort of make it feel like a, a service department. I think that's the really thing that you've got to be careful if you've got these small apartments that you still want to make it a serviceable kitchen. Don't look like a service department. Mm, interesting. So for someone listening who is like, that's it, I'm inspired now. I'm going to start looking at my kitchen uh, upgrade or I'm going to be building. What's your sort of top couple of tips what they should have front of mind when they're designing this kitchen? Well, I think the planning is is um, one of the main things is to work out the type of cooking that you do. One of my favourite sayings is, are you a chef or a cook? And mm. I'm a cook. Sometimes I'm just a reheater. <laughs> but be honest about your lifestyle. Be honest who's the person, you know, the amount of times I've gone into, you know, clients' houses and, and the wife will go... I don't cook, my husband cooks. So he tells me all the things that we need. And I think that's really important. You know, are you more of a um, cook that works on the, the stovetop, which I am? Like I don't really bake. I use the oven to to heat and just bake a few things, but I don't bake cakes or anything like that. So the oven isn't as important to me as what mm-hmm. the stovetop is. So for me, I've got the big whiz-bang stovetop because that's where I do all my fast cooking. And so that's really important too. And also for resale, people go, well, what, you know, that's how I live. And what about the people that are, you know, coming after me? Well, again, if you're living there for five years, why are you putting things in there for someone else? Mm. that's a big tip because otherwise you're living your life for somebody else. So just do not do that. Uh, the, the other part is with your appliances is, you know, coffee machines are really popular at the moment. Really think how often you're going to use that. Are you better with a stove top or, you know, a bench one that might be better for you? The coffee machine looks really fancy. It takes up a lot of real estate in your kitchen. How often are you going to use it? So you're talking the big ones that are actually sort of built into yes. the cabinetry as yeah. well. So yeah. if you do want that one, have a look. And they have all this technology. You have a Wi-Fi and you can actually sort of set it from when you wake up and then the coffee will be ready when you turn up. So, you know, you can go crazy. <laughs> so, okay, so think about how you're going to cook or be a chef in your kitchen and then work out the appliances that go with that. Then you need to look at uh, the surfaces that you need to sort of be conducive to that type of prep and that type of cooking and then, you know, whether it's stone or whether it's laminate, there's really good um, causes for that. But there's also a, a big hark back to timber bench tops. 
And someone was saying the other day, well, you know, I know it's a bit of maintenance. And I go, yeah, but you're doing a country home. So you want that chopped in, you know, chopped mm, in look of rustic, all the... Rustic, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, really think about those sorts of elements. And then, you know, then from there, go to your budget. Okay, we, these are the wants that we need. Now we need to look at budget. Where do we compromise on some surfaces? Where do we compromise on some appliances? Or it might be a case of like, you know what? Let's go a bit bigger here and a bit smaller there. Then you work out your colour. Mm, okay, so colour is on the end of this decision-making process. A whole different to the furnishings because, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, people – I've seen this stone and I want this door and this handle. I said, that's great, but what are you doing in there? So colour is probably one of the yeah. last things you do in designing your kitchen, but people tend to go there first. And trends in terms of kitchen colours, we've gone from sort of everything neutral, then we've gone into, like I mentioned, you know, the matte blacks and the beautiful dark navies. Do you think that will continue? Look, it will. I I think that there isn't a trend of anything specific, but we're going warmer. Like, you know, the bright whites have been very popular for a long time. We're going for more torps because it's working with, you know, the neutral colours that we're moving into on a broader scale. Timber um, look... Laminate is still very, very big. Blacks, um, walnuts are, are mm. very, very popular. And lots of marble. Still we're seeing lots of marble and, and you know, composite stone taking on beautiful patterns of, of marble. And we're going quite theatrical in, in the kitchen. There's a lot of minimalist, but that's a personal taste, but quite theatrical in our surfaces and our stones. Well, if people are going to be watching you in your open plan kitchen, why not bring the theatre to it? Ah, <laughs> oh, I couldn't have said it better myself. Make sure you have a glass of wine and some music pumping away. <laughs> well, fantastic inspiration for anyone thinking about kitchen kitchens or perhaps uh, halfway through a renovation. Look, I hope we've uh, brought you this podcast soon enough so that Shana's advice is very useful for you. Of course, you can find out more about Shana's design philosophy in her book, Design with Colour and Style by Shana Blaze. And there's also Design Your Home, which is more Uh reference to designing your kitchen. So Design Your Home is when you're designing your kitchen and your bathroom and then colour and style last, remember. And you can also check out all the wonderful uh, posts and content on Shana's website. She's on the Instagram. She's got the Facebook page as well. This has been Homestyle with me, Jane Neild and Shana Blaze. All thanks to Red Energy, born and bred in Melbourne. That's Red Energy. Thanks for listening to Homestyle with Shana Blaze. Thanks to Red Energy, born and bred in Melbourne with a customer solutions team based here. Switch to Red Energy today. If you enjoyed Homestyle with Shana Blaze, then check out the other podcasts in the Red Energy Lifestyle Series. For all things gardening and DIY, enjoy the sport of gardening with Dale Vine and Jane Neal. Compost is on trend at the moment. It is uh, <laughs> it is as cool as a hairstyle by Dustin Martin, I can tell you. Born and bred in Melbourne, that's Red Energy. Thanks for listening to Homestyle with Shana Blaze, part of Red Energy's podcast lifestyle series. Available on your favourite podcast platform and the SE. App.